Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and it's the original QI elf and author of the new children's books, Wonders of the World's Museums, Molly Oldfield. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Molly. My fact is, blue whales are born backwards, tail first, so they don't drown during birth. Yeah, that's extraordinary. What I think we can tell is that you are the original QI elf, because that's typical QI fodder, isn't it? Blue whales. Oh, we're going to love a bit of a blue whale. Yeah. It's actually really weird. I googled it to see like what they look like. So obviously, the tail's coming out first. And then I thought... Okay, what's it coming out of? I know it sounds ridiculous, but they're mammals, right? So um, am I allowed to say vagina? Oh, yeah. And I was like, do whales have them? What? Obviously they do, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but we spent like so long at QI. I think I spent about 12 years looking up. um, In fact, James and I were thinking of writing a book, the QI book of genital ignorance. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. That's a great title. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're backing off from this project very early on, James. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, so I I Googled um, this and there is an expert of... um, whale vaginas and and the Scientific American have written an article about her she's called Dr Sarah Masnick and um, it's really hard to study them obviously so what she does is she looks at Victorian drawings Um, (laughs) she's got a freezer full of them she asks people if they ever find one I'm sorry a freezer full of whales vaginas Vaginas. yeah exactly not drawings the real things and she also that must um, be a big fridge well right a blue whales one is so big you can walk inside it and the strange thing that every single whale... But how do you fit that in your freezer? Well, you, like, need a, you need a walk-in freezer. <laughs> and you could then, make the even... freezer out of the vagina, couldn't you? Also, she, the other thing she does is she gets people who are, like, whale experts but love diving to, like, swim down and try and, like, put little cameras on the whales so that she can CT scan them. Um, and she said that uh, it's a total gauntlet in there. Our very first whale <laughs> vagina, when we opened it up, there were so many structures in there that we couldn't figure out how a sperm would possibly be able to swim from one end to the other. Um, so basically, whales inside, they've got like flaps, folds, blind alleys and funnels and a dizzying maze for sperm. So the reason for this possibly is, is that because they're in water... They don't, want the wet, they don't want water going up there. So, it, you know, that's a way to keep them out. Keep the water out. Have lots of little, little sort of blind alleys and funnels <laughs> and mazes. Oh, okay, yeah. right. But they don't really know why. But how about with the birth end? Why is it? why? Because if they why came... Why they came out tail first? Yeah. Well, it's so that as they're being born, they can still breathe. Because if they came out head first, then they would just drown. But surely whales breathe air, right? They come up to the surface to breathe. Yeah. yeah. So they, if they're being born underwater, they won't be able to start breathing... Whichever end comes out first. So what happens is, often with whales, they'll have a load of mates of the mother. Midwives. Yeah, they're known as midwives, right? (laughs) And they'll kind of take the baby up so it can have its first breath to make sure that it doesn't just drown there. And also their umbilical cord is like perforated. And so it kind of comes apart really quickly and easily. Cool. That's amazing. Have you heard about um, whale placenta? No. It just floats off looking like a big plastic bag in the water. Ooh. It was very exciting. Recently, one floated past Hawaii, and everyone, everyone in Hawaii gathered at the water's edge to watch it go. <laughs> <laughs> Do other animals That's not the, eat it? I would imagine. I think it probably becomes food for other animals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I picked the the fact about the blue whale because um, it's like a fact from my book, and I wrote about the blue whale who's at the Natural History Museum called Hope. And um, when I went there with a the little kid, she said to me, "Do you, can blue whales talk to killer whales? What do you think?" No. Mm. Ooh. No. 
I'd, I'd different say lang- different language. I'd say yes. I'd say <laughs> you could sort of shout in blue whale and put on a killer whale accent. Yeah. <laughs> or you could get the gist. You'd be like, I think they want to eat me. Dos squids, por favor. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but a killer whale isn't a whale. Yeah, right. It's a dolphin. Yeah. Uh, so it makes more like clicking, whirring noises. And a blue whale obviously like makes deep singing yeah. noises. But I don't know. Because a killer I whale, they're called killer whales because they killed whales, right? They were originally okay. called whale killers and then they got flipped around to kill Ah, whale. nice. But yeah. humans, humans can talk to other animals and other animals can kind of Exactly. Communicate with each other. We can talk to dogs, kind of. We can talk to whoever we want. Yeah. Whether they understand <laughs> us or not. <laughs> so a baby blue whale, for its first year, gains 200 pounds every day, which is about my weight. Wow. So it's like, after day one, it's like I then go into the whale, and then day two, another one of me, and day three, another one of wow. me for a whole year until they're absolutely humongous. And that's all. is that all krill, or do they get some sort of other food source from no, the mums? Feed them. They yeah, mums feed them. The milk. The, the mums milk have the to mums. make 200 litres of milk a day. Wow. That that's is a shitload. That's a very weird mental image, James. Can I just say, a whale made up of 365 ewes, yeah. all it's kind like, of like tied together. Kind of... Imagine I'm Jonah, <laughs> yeah. but only baby whales like to eat me. Yeah, but they're doing it again and again, and I'm cloning myself, obviously, in this metaphor. How many years would it take to make up one blue whale? A lot. So, for instance, <laughs> an adult blue whale eats about four tons of krill a day. Uh-huh. Okay, and by weight, that's the equivalent of eating twenty-six thousand Greg steak bakes a day, which is one every three seconds. Oh, what whoa. is a steak bake? <laughs> I don't know. It's a glorious thing. <laughs> it's like a sausage roll, but it's got steak in it instead. Okay. Yeah. It's like a pasty. Right, got yeah. It's very nice. Yeah, but you wouldn't want to eat one every three seconds <laughs> for the rest of your life. <laughs> Would you go on with life if you had to do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah but, so you don't get full because you've got a much bigger stomach. Yeah. Like if your vagina's the size of a fridge, then your stomach's probably the size of, you know, a Maybe a whole warehouse full of fridges. Yeah. So you're not going to get full all the time with these steak bakes. And you've got oh, a yeah, big mouth. You can eat more than one in time. You don't need to do the three-second separation. I guess so. I, it's, yeah, it's funny to imagine you, Daniel, having to eat one every three <laughs> seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Especially they, they feed in this, like, it's called the, the... Blue whales feed in the lunging position, which is actually the position mm. of... Not the lunching position. Which would be, shouldn't it? The eternal lunching position. Um, yeah, that's the... That, you know they've hung the Blue Whale Natural History Museum from the ceiling. It's in the feed lunging position. So what they do is they, like, dive down and open their mouths and all the krill goes in and then they close their mouths and the baleen, like, filters yeah. out the water and the krill stays inside like little peas, right. basically. Right. I don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but um, the Blue Whale in the Natural History Museum, mm-hmm. um, the one that's made of the massive sort of, like, paper mache. Do you remember that giant whale that they have? Oh, um, yeah. the model one, yeah. Yeah, the model one. So there's a trap door at the bottom of it and the builders when they were making all the surrounding rooms and the whale itself used to go in there for breaks and it's a bit of a time capsule now because inside there are still old magazines this said to be a mattress because supposedly after late night parties there were sneaky shag sessions going on inside the blue well we <laughs> were told we were told this by curators uh from there did you have um, to go in through the <laughs> freezer sized vagina <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, inside the blue whale supposedly is a time capsule of newspapers, and there might be a mattress in there, and so but on. But the um, having sex inside a blue whale definitely happened in Gothenburg, and they also have a trapdoor, and the public was allowed to go inside, but they stopped it because they found a couple in there doing their. 
Wow. Everything else I've got is very tame compared with this stuff. <laughs> but in, they had a cafe in the mouth of this one in Gothenburg. And wow. they used to have religious people would go there and tell the story of Jonah and the whale while having their coffee and their... <laughs> having having a whale of a time. You couldn't get it... <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't be swallowed and end up in the stomach of a whale, could you? Because you'd be... No, because they can only eat krill, right? Yeah. yeah. They've got Big- tiny... Throats. Yeah, the, the throat. Of a yeah, the size of a grapefruit. We've said on QI, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But you could squeeze through the size of a grapefruit. <laughs> it's not going to be really solid, is it? It's going to be like mus- muscly. But I reckon you could squeeze through. No, I just um, imagine trying to eat a meal though that was trying to get through. That was too big. Imagine a lump of gristle that was trying to get into your stomach. That was too big. I think you'd choke. Yeah, but it's better to have them helping you swallow it. The gristle. If you had food that helped you swallow it, if that would make a, life a lot easier. If, if the Greg's steak bake wants to be eaten. Come on, there's another of my buddies two and a half seconds behind me. Let's go, let's go. Go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time to move on to fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that during the Qing Dynasty in China, when the weather got hot in the summer, people would swap their pillows for ceramic ones. Ceramic What an pillows. uncomfortable day it must have been, like the first day of using a ceramic pillow after having a lovely soft pillow. Do you think? I guess your pillow would be nice and cool, which is good. Yeah. Which mm. is the advantage of doing it. Well, we're in the hottest day of the year today, aren't we? This yeah. is going to yeah. go out in a few weeks when it's probably pissing it down again. <laughs> but this is the hottest day of the year. And this morning when you were in bed, would oh, you not have killed for a I ceramic pillow? I would have pillow? loved yeah. a ceramic pillow right there. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that would be awful. Imagine a pillow fight with a ceramic pillow. <laughs> 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 I don't want that. <laughs> um, there was a pillow fight in 2015 um, between a load of army cadets in America uh, and they decided, for some reason, instead of having a normal harmless pillow fight, that they put helmets in the pillows. And as a result, at least 30 cadets were injured, 24 suffered concussions, and there were three broken arms, one broken neck, and many missing teeth. One broken <laughs> neck? Apparently. Wow. That is bad. That, I read about that. It's at West Point Military Academy. That's right. And it was this great tradition. It happened every year since 1897. And after 2015, they said, well, maybe maybe no more of this. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is. Um, pillow fights used to be used a lot for early cinema. Um, there's a lot of examples of some of the early movies that were made. Those black and white ones that are called, like, the first example in 1897 was just called A Pillow Fight. And it's just people having a pillow fight. And oh. then it was remade. Uh, well, there was a follow-up called New Pillow Fight. Um, <laughs> what happened then? Yeah, it was just more, um, yeah, I guess, you know, the second installment. Yeah. They didn't yeah. put helmets inside the pillow. No, <laughs> but what, the, yeah, what they, what they I read is uh, the reason it was very good for cinema is because you could see the fight starting uh, s- small and feathers would come out. And as the fight escalated uh, and they got harder, more feathers would come out. So the audience were able to properly see the intensity of a fight as it got heavier and heavier um it was just great for early cinema to have that as a as an effect of visual so yeah a lot of pillow fights in early cinema have you guys heard of a pillow fort uh that's a phrase yeah yeah Yeah, where you build yourself you build a fort out of pillows okay there is a park in america which is called fort pillow okay that's its name and it's named after a u.s and confederacy general whose name was 
Gideon Johnson pillow. But it's, it's got it's very nothing. comfy, man. <laughs> I can just imagine like putting my head down, sleeping on his like fat tummy. Was he well, really fat? He, I don't. I don't know if he was fat or not. But he was not a nice man. You wouldn't have wanted a, oh, really? a cuddle. Yeah, no, he was. A, he was. A, he was a bad dude. Um, but I don't think it's got anything to do with pillow forts. And it's called Fort Pillow. What are the odds? I've been. I've been trying to find out the first use of the phrase pillow fort to see if Fort Pillow predates it. I can't find it. <laughs> Pillow, what, what a terrible name for a general. <laughs> general Pillow. Was he general? Captain Pillow? He was, what was general. His? General he Pillow. Was general. He was a brigadier general. He was very senior in the army. I reckon it was his name that made him such an angry man. <laughs> so I got this um, fact from the Christie's website, uh-huh. um, the auctioneers. Um, they had There was an article about 100 things we learned from Christie's. I'll give you a few more of those before we go on to the last one. Okay, cool, yeah. Um, Napoleon was allergic to leather. In France, first edition comic books sell for much less than the original plates that were used to make them. That's a good fact, isn't it? And Andy Warhol once wrote in his diaries that Danny DeVito was so cute we should all marry him. Wow, Wow, that is two pop culture names I did not expect to to come together. (laughs) DeVito and Warhol. DeVito? DeVito? Is that how you just look at people who are slightly (laughs) overweight? (laughs) Pillowy. That means like Tommy you'd sleep on. Tommy you'd sleep on, right. There was someone who, who was it, who slept on the stomach of... Um, I know who it was. Was it Genghis Khan or something? No, it was, I think it was Peter the Great. That's right. Peter yes. the Great used to use uh, a young male secretary's stomach as a pillow. He lo- he preferred his wife, but if he was away travelling and his wife wasn't available, he had his um, bring in general pillow at once. <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't cool. turn him over, could you? Because if you turn over that person, you've got a bony back. Yeah, you've got a bum. The bum. You could use the, you just bum. have to slip oh, out of it. You don't yeah. really do that though, do you? No, it's not ideal. <laughs> no, but you would want the man's tummy. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. different. It's different, isn't it? There's less going on in the yeah. on the stomach. Rumbling if it's hungry. Uh, yeah, yeah but that, that's true. You don't have to be well fed. <laughs> Sorry, what were, we talk, what were we talking about? I mean, pillows a long time ago. Um, yes, so um, Chinese um, yep. people, they used to use ceramic pillows. Well, actually, James, they still do. I've got oh. someone staying with me and she's from Singapore. And she said her aunt still uses a ceramic pillow. Cool. Is that right? Yeah. Very cool. Just well, in the summer, so. she stopped talking to her aunt recently, but <laughs> <laughs> following a pillow fight, where? <laughs> um, but because they lived in small um, living spaces, they would be um, decorative as well, um, and they would be given as wedding gifts, and they'd be kind of a sign of, you know, wishes for many happy years of marriage or offspring or whatever. Some of them were um, shaped. So there were lion-shaped ones, which would scare off evil spirits, which is useful. Uh, there were some shaped like frogs. And there was a fashion for some shaped like sleeping children. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think they thought that like pillows could commune between the spirit world and human world. So they'd put like children playing on them to like bring children into the family or a specific. There's one in the Met uh, in New York that's got a drawing of two boys playing in peonies, which is apparently to ensure like baby boys and heirs would come along. And there's one in the British Museum um, that is in the shape of a woman lying down with her head on a pillow. Um, and yeah, the, on the concave bit of the woman around her hip where you'd put your head, there's a lovely poem which says, the wind rustles flowers under a snow white moon. I, I read this and I can't quite believe it, which is that in medieval times, pillows were really for, for people who are a bit weedy. 
Yeah. They were only for the elderly or pregnant women. They still are actually. I sleep on a I sleep on a piece of two by four with nails stuck in it. <laughs> Take the man out of Bolton. <laughs> I do have a reason why you should throw your pillows away, James, and go back to that piece of two by four with nails in it. <laughs> why is that, Andy? There was a study by the University of Manchester which took pillows which had been used for various lengths of time, and they found several thousand spores of fungus per, per gram of pillow. They found 47 different species of fungus, so that's that might be what you're sleeping on. Yeah, I read that a third of the weight of any pillow, if you've been using it for ages, is dead skin. I think that is, mites. some people think that might be true, and some people think that might have been a rumour put about by pillow manufacturers. Big, yes. By big pillow. <laughs> by big pillow. Well, no, you would think, wouldn't you? If, and it's not just dead skin, it's also house mite corpses yep. and house mite excrement. Corpses. And, and living house mites and everything. Yeah, but, but if it was one third of an entire pillow, you would think, that's a lot of a pillow. You would think you could tell if just one end was just your skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true. Mind you, but you sleep with pillowcases, right? So it doesn't yeah. all the gross stuff go on there and then you change it. And then it. you wash it. Wow. I know. Who washes you, a pillow? If you put a pillowcase around a turd, it's still a turd, isn't it? <laughs> it's You're still right. bad, yeah. Yeah, um, that is true. Hitler, Hitler's pillowcase. Ah. Oh, yeah. I'm afraid we've reached the Hitler bit of the podcast. <laughs> um, his pillowcase uh, was not only monogrammed with his initials, it had an eagle and a swastika on it. Mm. Oh. Yeah, it was auctioned in 2011, and uh, a pillowcase on a sheet was sold for £2,000. That's not much. It's not, well... Come on, for Hitler's pillowcase. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise we had a collector in the room. I a lot more for that. <laughs> okay. Um. Do you want a random swastika fact? Yeah. I got two, actually. Oh, yeah. um, one, the oldest bit of human writing ever found has got a swastika in it. Ooh. And two, the word swastika is Sanskrit, and it means kind of lucky or fortunate. Ooh. Yeah, it's Hindu yeah. symbol. The but, oldest writing. So that's the ancient Hindu, Indo-European... Sanskrit? Yeah. No, it's not. It's pre-Sanskrit. Uh, yeah, it's uh, proto-Sanskrit, wow. proto-European. You know, if you get to a hotel and you don't like your pillow, you can order a pillow menu. Not in all hotels. Not all <laughs> hotels. <laughs> but hotels. We've just finished a tour, and I don't think a single one of the hotels <laughs> that we stayed in had a pillow menu. Yeah, sorry, I should have said uh, certain hotels <laughs> provide a pillow menu. <laughs> I've worked in hotels that had pillow really? menus. Really? Yeah, yeah. And it would be like, let's say you had a an anti-allergen pillow. You might yeah. have that, or hard, or soft, or general pillows tummy, or whatever. <laughs> or pillow with. I'd like one with an eagle and a swastika on it, please. Do you have one of those? <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that Oscar Wilde ate his books as he read them. <laughs> this was um, there was a book that was written called Tom, by Thomas Wright um, called Built of Books: How Reading Defined the Life of Oscar Wilde. In it, he reveals that as Oscar Wilde was reading books, he would tear off the top corner of each page once he'd read it and eat it, and then keep moving on. It was just a it's, habit of his that he instead did. Instead of having like a bookmark, right? I guess so, yes. To wherever the chomp has been taken out of the corner. <laughs> yeah, the exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very yeah. Why don't we all do that? Well, have you ever eaten paper? Yeah. Do you like it? I don't mind it. It's not my favourite. It's, <laughs> it's no Greg Steak Bake. <laughs> I think it's not that nice eating paper. I think in a small amount it's fine. Hmm. Um, I've been reading a lot on Oscar Wilde recently. Uh, that's one of the fun facts that I discovered. Did you eat um, the books as you read them? No, I didn't. It was I, the internet he was reading. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like your computer. Oh, mm, oh well, if you're reading online, you have to take a bite. Oh, good. Very nice. 
So um, there was an exhibition not too long ago, 2016, in Reading Prison, where they showed all of the books that Oscar Wilde had while he was in prison. Um, and they did it. <laughs> yes, it's, a, it's an empty exhibition. Um, but they basically, when he was in jail, um, you weren't really allowed to have access to books, but because he was uh, such a prominent figure. Yeah. And, and so he was the only one who was allowed, basically. They have a special dispensation for him, right? Yeah, he was allowed to keep his light on at night yeah. uh, longer than everyone else. To so keep what reading. I like about it is that Reading jail was the only reading jail. Wow. Oh, very nice. Yes. I, I read that, I, I'm a bit hazy on the details, I think he was allowed, to, it was technically a long letter that the governor of the prison allowed him to write, because you were allowed to write a letter, oh. but um, he, he was writing a, a huge long... Oh, so this is the writing profundus. part rather than the... De Profundis, yeah. exactly, yeah. So that was when he was in prison being allowed to write. Yes, and, yeah. and we see it, interestingly, as a letter because it starts Dear Bosey to the to his lover and who he ended up going to prison as a result of the relationship with. Yeah. And um, Bosey never read it until after Oscar Wilde had died. It was never written to be a private letter to him done in long form. It was meant to be published and it was yeah. written and sent to a publisher as opposed to Bosey himself. Yeah. So yeah, it was a good cheat that what he pulled off. Oh, it's it's a huge sort of um, uh, philosophical. It's his like deepest work, I think, that Oscar Wilde did, just life and and why he was in there and what people thought about um, sex and gender and all that sort of stuff. I think. I and he's, read it. he's pretty he's pretty rude about Bosie in it because Bosie encouraged him to sue for libel when Bosie's father had been extremely rude about Wilde in public and said that the the cost would be covered in all of this. And as it was. The libel trial collapsed. Oscar Wilde was sued for what the time was gross indecency, uh, being gay, basically. And uh, as a result, went to prison. So it, he's quite annoyed with Bosey and bits of it. You know that he, um, supposedly his last words were, uh, my wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. One of one or either of us has to go. Mm. So I tried to find out what his wallpaper was like. <laughs> <laughs> because it must have been pretty horrible, right? <laughs> and um, did you find out? Um, I... I didn't. But I found out that his um, wallpaper in his own house, back in London, because he died in Paris in a hotel, right? He, um, in his own house, he had a drawing room, room with dragons painted all over a blue ceiling. And he, his wallpaper was, had peacock feathers. It was like peacock feathers all set oh. into the plaster of the walls. And then, I don't know whether the hotel in Paris where he died knows this, because they've redecorated the Oscar Wilde room where he died um, with a fresco of kissing peacocks. Um, ah. And the other thing that's on show in there is the bill from his hotel stay where he when he when he died, and uh, he never paid it. And apparently, he said, "I am dying above my means." Mm, yeah, but I don't think that they were his final words. Were they? No, the wallpaper thing. So um, he had an operation just before he died, and while he was recuperating, he said that last words oh. and he said a few other last words as well um, saying I can't even afford to die and things like that oh. but when he actually died I don't think he was in any fit state to be making witticisms or oh, James yeah. you just ruined the whole lovely ending it was definitely nearly his last yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so I read a thing Andy and I were talking about this downstairs um, because uh, there's a sense that it's been debunked uh, this fact that I'm about to say um, uh, but I read it in a Christopher Hitchens article uh, where he talks about the hidden um, the hidden sort of innuendos that was all, all the way through the importance of being earnest, the play. So Christopher Hitchens says that the word earnest used to be Victorian slang for if you were homosexual. Oh. So the idea was 
Oscar Wilde loved the idea on the marquee. It was effectively saying the importance of being gay was uh, his big sort of hidden message that was underneath it. And that seems to have been slightly de- been debunked. But it's interesting because um, Hitchens brings up a bunch of different examples where he seeded sort of hidden meanings uh, within the play. So, for example, there's a character, a minor character called Bloxham. Bloxham was famous at the time as an editor of a magazine, um, a gay magazine called The Chameleon. Um, and he was a very controversial character. Cecily was one of the characters' names of one of the high society girls. That, according to Hitchens, was um, vernacular for transvestite rent boys uh, back in the day. And just lots of little bits of hidden hints towards uh, the two main male characters having alternative lives that they're trying to hide was a suggestion that they were both... Um, themselves gay, and if there was a missing handbag um, in... uh, A handbag? (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Um, Where, uh, and supposedly sort of meet-up places where where guys would go to meet up um, sort of illegally would be places like lost property places and so on. Um, So... Another thing that you were telling me, Dan, is about the Marquess of Queensbury. Mm. Yes, yeah. Well, my original fact for this was that uh, to protest at the opening of the importance of being earnest about the relationship of Oscar Wilde and Bosey, the Marquis of the Marquis of Queensbury tried to interrupt the premier with a bouquet of phallic-shaped vegetables. <laughs> um, did he, like, throw them on stage, or what did he do? That, that was his plan. He was going to go inside, and he went with a posse. He went with, like, a crew, kind of like how uh, Conor McGregor recently threw stuff at a bus. <laughs> that was kind of the marquee of <laughs> well, Queensbury. Well, Conor McGregor didn't throw phallic vegetables, did he? No, they were phallic um, chairs. Phallic <laughs> 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 um, So do you have to, like, hmm. carve a phallic vegetable? Or no, what? I don't think so. You can, well, this, but I, so I think he, d- he definitely did take along vegetables. He took along a basket of vegetables to throw at the stage and throw at Wild and protest. Yeah. But I think they weren't especially phallic. I think they were just carrots and turnips. Because but I, then carrots are quite phallic, aren't they? I, All of them, really. Parsnips. Uh Yeah, yeah. Cucumber. Yeah, okay. Aubergine. What we're saying is that many vegetables are kind of a little bit phallic in nature. Yeah. And so to say that these were phallic vegetables seems plausible. Yeah, but what I don't think is true <laughs> that the Marquis of Queensbury went around selecting. I think that would be a weird thing to protest against homosexuality by going around looking for penises wherever you could find them. <laughs> And would say more about the Marquis's own state of mind than about Wilde's. <laughs> but that, and that, that, so he wasn't allowed in. He didn't get let into the play. And then he, oh. he left a card, I think. At Sorry, his can I just say, did they not let him in because he was carrying the vegetables? Like, did they, you know, when you go to um, a gig and they have to check your handbag? In case you've got like some Your handbag? handbag. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, so was that the reason why? Or was it because they recognised him? I think probably he turned up angry with thugs and holding vegetables. And they thought, oh, that's the opening night. Let's not take the Chance. Yeah, yeah and, okay. and also he was famous for going to premieres of theater shows <laughs> to was. protest them. That was his thing. So he went to he went to one play that uh, he was protesting that they were giving atheists a bad name. It was I believe by Tennyson. He was an yeah. avowed atheist. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, and then he brought vegetables shaped like Jesus. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, a lot of vegetables actually look like Jesus. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Which one particularly? <laughs> um, the Jerusalem artichoke. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, play actually failed. Importance being honest, failed as a result of this trial happening. It closed after eighty-three performances, in spite of getting crazily good reviews. Really? Well, but it yeah. survived longer than it should have. What they just did was take his name off the bill, so they just right. erased Oscar Wilde from the production wow. because he was up there on the marquee. It was an Oscar Wilde play, yeah. and they just said, "All right, let's get rid of that and let's keep it going." So it should have come off 
thirty or forty performances before right. uh, then, really. But when he didn't, when he didn't um, manage to get into the play, the Marquis, I think he went to Wilde's club and he left a card saying to Oscar Wilde, posing as a sodomite. He meant to write sodomite and he misspelt it. I think to a writer that has got to be more of an insult almost than spelling it right. Isn't <laughs> it's it? annoying, <laughs> and that's what that's what made Bosey say, "No, you have to sue my father for libel." And that's when Wilde did what, sue for libel. One can't spell it wrong. Yeah, he shouldn't have done that. With the benefit of hindsight, Molly, no, he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> should have sent it back. You spelt it wrong. Leave me alone. <laughs> did you know that Oscar Wilde's on the front cover of the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band? No, nope. is no. he? Okay. No. He's like looking over the shoulder of John Lennon. Um, the other thing I found out is that is about his tomb. So he's um, buried in Père Lachaise Cemetery in France, Paris, where lots of famous people are. And his tomb it's got a big sphinx flying across it. Have mm. you seen it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it was described as a demonic flying angel, and it had a huge set of genitalia, which apparently the keeper of the cemetery said that was, was actually a cucumber <laughs> or a carrot. <laughs> yeah, the keeper said that this is totally indecent, so they just covered it up with a tarpaulin for a little while. Um, anyway, so then they they uh, said, right, we're going to have to sort this out. Tarpaulin's just not going to work. So they made a bronze butterfly-shaped codpiece and put that over top and then Alistair Crowley apparently stole it um, oh. yeah he was known as the wickedest man on earth wasn't he Crowley yeah he was like uh, what was he like he was like a, a, mag- a dark magician yeah. who uh, <laughs> oh, like David Blaine <laughs> <laughs> yeah the newspapers called him evil because he was like um, he was he had very poor morals and was kind of corrupting the young they said oh like, yeah so. like Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> <laughs> okay so he's a cross between David Blaine and Jeremy Corbyn I think I understand who this Alistair Crowley guy is he, he, apparently when he was on holiday in Egypt with his wife Rose he had a vision of someone dictating like a book of laws to him and he founded a whole new religion Crowley uh, no not- Corbyn Corbyn <laughs> There's a bookshop not too far from here, uh, which is called Watkins, and it's an um, esoteric bookshop. It's mm, a cult and all yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff. It's amazing. And they have a story, which is that Alistair Crowley used to shop there, and he came in one time, and the owner said, I don't believe that you have all these magic tricks. And then he said, well, watch this. <laughs> in an instant, he made all of the books disappear in the shop, and then a he, second later, they all came back. That's because he went in with Oscar Wilde, who ate them all. <laughs> <laughs> and then up again. Anyway, yeah, he, so Alistair Crowley, he took the butterfly off, um, he, he nicked it, basically, and then... And when he went to London, he got all dressed up, put the butterfly on his jacket, and he went to Cafe Royal and like hung out with all of his friends and was like, I've got Oscar Wilde's um, butterfly copies, and now everyone can see his massive genitalia on the Sphinx, right? And then they're now not there. And the rumour is, is that two angry ladies who were walking in the cemetery just got some rocks and bashed it off because they didn't like it. Mm. Um, and yeah, and apparently the balls are now used as paperweights <laughs> in the Père Lachaise Conservation Office. Is that right? <laughs> That's what I'd like to happen to my balls after I die. And I believe the um, the penis shaft is used as a draft excluder under the door in that office as well. <laughs> Very good use. <laughs> Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Andy. My fact is that the New York police have a casting director for their lineups, <laughs> which Ooh. he's now he's not a proper policeman. 
Right. He's not even a rogue policeman. He's just a guy. Um, and there was a profile of him in the New York Times a few years ago. He's called Robert Weston. And whenever the police in the Bronx need a, a, to do a lineup, they say we need five, you know, light-skinned Hispanic men. He'll say, okay, I know just the people I'll ring. They all get $10. He gets $10 for organizing the thing. And he's been doing this for years. And he can find various different categories of people. That's so, really cool. Yeah. It's a very weird casting job that he does. But he's been doing it for ages. Um, so these days we have something called Viper in the UK, mm. uh, which is the uh, Video Identification Parade Electronic Recording. And it's basically a database of loads of different faces. And so you go into your database and you say, this person has this color eyes, this color of um, hair and whatever. And then it just finds people who look like them. Basically, instead of getting a tenner for every lineup you do, you get paid a tenner once and then your face is in the system. Ah, but right. what it means is that they can go to the house of the person who's been a victim of the crime. So if you've been mugged, yeah. the police will come around to your place and they'll show you on a computer a lineup and say, can you identify any of these yes. people? So with the Viper thing, if you're um, accused, then you can ask your lawyer to get the police to Photoshop any distinctive mark you ha might have on your face. So, for instance, I have a scar on my face, don't I, under my eye. What's that from? Uh, from when I was... Pillipite. <laughs> yeah, Pillipite. I was in the West Point military when I was younger. No, I just fell when I was a child. And um, it's basically... I can make it so everyone else has this exact scar on so that... Oh, oh cool. Nice. Oh, so you wouldn't erase it off. You'd just put it on everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Surely... <laughs> yeah, that, it is because if if people are looking for... If they remember a birthmark or a scar or yeah. something, they'll fixate on that and they yeah. might misidentify... Uh, if they're just looking for that thing. Yes. But surely it's an incentive to criminals to do all their crimes in like a fabulous hat or something, because then you can just make everyone in the ID parade wear a fabulous hat. That's what I'd do <laughs> if I was a criminal. With phallic vegetables on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know that in 2015 there was an ID parade of dogs in the UK? Was there? Yeah. Because mm. a dog did a crime. A dog did a crime. Mm, what did and it do? It, uh, it had bitten a, a girl okay. uh, in Wales, and the police ran an ID parade of dogs, which were all from the street that the, cri the biting had taken place. Right. And the girl picked the right one. But then dogs are very <laughs> different looking, aren't they? Well, I don't know if they tried to get five border collies. <laughs> or if, they just tried if you just had a Rottweiler and a load of chihuahuas and poodles and stuff. I think they might have put the other dogs in border collie costumes. <laughs> <laughs> You've got two chihuahuas, one in the front, one in the back. <laughs> um, actually, you could have a um, lineup where the dogs are the ones who are picking the criminal. Ooh, okay. Because in some states of America, Alaska, Florida, New York, and Texas, they have scent lineups. Wow. What? Um, where dogs smell a number of people to pick out the suspect. Um, the FBI report from 2004 says it should not be used as primary evidence. Okay. Um, because it's not exactly amazingly kind of accurate but what if they oh. just smell like food we all get a bark at that one aren't they? they rub sausages on all the criminals before <laughs> the, uh... if you smell like sausages normally you're allowed to ask your lawyer to make everyone else smell like sausages <laughs> but this is not the dogs are not the victims of the crime right no, it's not which of these men called you a bad dog <laughs> 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 no, they're just matching the right. scent with the scent from the crime. Okay. Do you want to hear one thing about this? So this is about people who look like each other in lineups. I did find one thing about lookalikes. Yeah, go on. It's, it's this guy who's a Daniel Craig lookalike, and he was writing up his experiences. Mm. And he just sounds like he has a really tricky time. He was recounting some of his adventures. He's called Steve Wright. 
and um, he has these awful times. So he says he was flown out to Saint Tropez by a millionaire to reenact the scene where James Bond comes out of the water in his swimming trunks. And he said, I was told to wait a few yards out on the water until my cue came, the theme tune from Casino Royale. But when it did, it sounded very faint, he says. I suddenly realised that somehow I had drifted 100 yards out of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I had to lurch back with seawater slapping in my face. By the time I reached the sand, I was totally out of breath and staggered out of the water. So you think that's bad. Then he did another party where he said it's more typical for him to be schmoozing ladies at a corporate event dressed yeah. as James Bond and looking like Daniel Craig. He did a function, a black tie ball, and he said, unfortunately, it was a black tie ball, so I didn't stand out easily. When I waltzed into the room of 250 people and attempted to charm the female contingent, I found myself being treated like a repellent sex pest. <laughs> I tried taking a woman's arm and saying, so, you must be pussy galore. Would you like to be my escort for the night? But I had failed to introduce myself with James Bond first. She pulled her arm back very quickly and called her husband over. Okay, that is it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I am on at Schreiberland. James? At James Harkin. Andy? At Andrew Hunter M. And Mole? At Molly Oldfield. Yep, and Mole, uh, mention the name of your book again. It's called Wonders of the World's Museums. Yeah, and it's available now on Amazon and in all bookshops. All bookshops. It's a guide to all the best things in museums around the world for children. Yeah, I've got it for my kid. It's awesome. So do go out and get that. Um, you can also go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com. We have all of our previous episodes up there. We have links to our tour dates and we have links to our book and other goodies. So go there and check it out. We'll be back again next week with another episode. See you then. Goodbye. <laughs>